0: I share with you this morning from Daniel chapter 4. And we can entitle this uh, The Politics of Heaven and Earth. So it's good for us to remind ourselves who's in charge and where the authority comes from. Daniel 4 is probably um, one of the stories contained in the book of Daniel that many people will be familiar with. It's the story of one of the great Babylonian kings by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. He's the one who ultimately destroyed Jerusalem and took the people of Israel captive into Babylon for 70 years. Very powerful man, um, very gifted man administratively and militarily and in many other ways as well. Very powerful, charismatic leader. And he put together, um, inherited from his father and added to it greatly, a a tremendous uh, world empire of his day, one of the great empires in that section of the world. And um, as with many of these leaders, there's a big ego that goes with the power and the authority and the gifts that God gave so one of the problems that Nebuchadnezzar had um, is that he had a dream, and he it scared him because he didn't know what it meant. And so he called all of his advisors in and asked them if they could help him interpret the dream, and none of them were able. So he's very well aware of who Daniel is, and so he calls him in and asks him if he can bring uh, an interpretation. And uh, Daniel, like Joseph before him, uh, these men of God in high positions with the wisdom that the Spirit of God imparts uh, says, it's not to me, but God in heaven wants you to know what's going on. And so tell me the dream and God will tell you the decision. And so Nebuchadnezzar tells him the dream he's got this huge tree in the middle of the land it's uh, reaching up to the highest heavens it covers the whole land all the beasts come for security under it and the birds uh, are nesting in its branches and there's all kinds of fruit and it's a beautiful lovely tree producing life and protection for everybody who comes under it and um, in the middle of the thing um, a messenger we would call him a watchman, a holy one Came down from heaven and said, Cut down the tree, trim off the branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it, the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by him. The decision is announced by the messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. So we have a tendency to look at... um, The great nations of the world and the great men and women who lead them, and people stand in awe of them because of the power, the authority, the majesty, sometimes because of the brutality um, that is there. And people stand in awe and fear of them. And some of them, in their arrogance, uh, think that they are greater than God. Daniel chapter 4 gives a little different picture, doesn't it? God is the one who is in control of the kingdoms and the nations. He gives them to whoever he wishes, and he sets over them the lowliest of men. When we look at these powerful people and the, um, the kind of decisions that they make, um, we need to keep in mind these are the lowliest And they're in God's hand. Now as you read through chapter 4, that was verse 17. You see it again in verse 25. Um, Daniel is giving the interpretation to this king, this great emperor, the guy who with one word can have Daniel executed. And so he's telling him that he is the guy and that um, he is the tree. And this is the decree of the Most High God. And he said, Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king... And remember who he's talking to. Therefore, O king... Be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. So he's standing in front of this most powerful guy in the the land at that time and he's telling him, you need to repent. Pretty courageous thing. Well, very next verse, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. A year later, he's walking along his palace. Uh, you know, that's, uh, this is the Babylon of the of the Hanging Gardens. Um, Babylon is a flat country, but he married uh, one of his wives was um, a Mead, which is a, a mountain country. Now she's living down here in the capital city, and it's flat. So he built a mountain for her, and he terraced it, seven stories tall. And he put all kinds of exotic plants and things. And so you're coming in out of the desert, and here's this huge mountain with all this lush green uh, vegetation springing up out of the desert. He created all of that. And um, uh, massive walls, beautiful places, and high culture and all the rest that goes with that kind of thing. So he's walking along, and he looks around at all he's done, and he says, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my might by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty and he hears a voice from heaven this is what is decreed for you King Nebuchadnezzar your royal authority has been taken from you where does power come from it's not Father the military it's not by your intelligence it's not by your greatness it's not by your ego it's a gift from God You will be driven away from your people, will live with the wild animals, eat grass like the cattle. That has a tendency to lower your self-image a bit. (laughs) Seven times, seven years, will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. And that's what happened. And at the end of that seven times, those seven years... He says in verse 34, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. My sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. And he goes on and he says, His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. And this next statement is very important. It's very New Testament as well. He, God, does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? And so his sanity was restored, his kingdom was restored, he's back in the position of the king, and now he's writing to this vast empire, and he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, Because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. That's personal experience there. So about uh, five times in this one chapter it tells us God is in control. He is the sovereign God. He is most high and He gives the kingdoms of the earth to whoever He chooses. Uh, Earlier, in Jeremiah 27, Jeremiah had a a similar revelation from God in verse 5. And God says, with my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are on it, and I give it to anyone I please and he does and so regardless of how elections turn out we need to remember who's in charge we need to remember where the power comes from and the God who gives it is also the God who can take it away and so we need to look to him and not to any earthly um, potentate or power or authority So these were things that uh, the New Testament picks up, Romans 13:1, and this is going to be uh, repeated in 1 Peter chapter 2. And in Romans 13:1, Paul says, "There is no power but of God. the powers that be are ordained by God." And um, Paul's writing, while well, he himself is in prison um, as a ward of the state, the Roman government. Peter echoes that same statement. And uh, Jesus, Peter, Paul, all executed by the Roman state. So, that's what they're talking about. So, the real question here is the question of power and authority. And it's an important question. And the Pharisees of Jesus' day, trying to challenge Jesus, wanted to try to pin him down. And so they were challenging him in Matthew 21 verses 23 and 24. Jesus entered the temple courts and while he was teaching the chief priest and the elders of the people came to him. Now these were people, these were the chief authority in the religious and cultural affairs of Israel at the time. So these were the power people. And they're coming in the temple, to challenge Jesus. And so they come as a group. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? Because they didn't give it. And if they didn't give it, what power does he have? Or what power does he think he has? Because there, the controlling, authoritative, uh, religious answers and standard setters of the day and they said we haven't given you our approval where's your authority and who gave it to you so Jesus said well I'll ask you a question uh, you remember John the Baptist there what, um, by what authority did John baptize people did it come from heaven or did it come from men well they talked among themselves and said well then, you know If we say from heaven, then he'll say, why didn't you obey him? If they say from men, they'll stone us because everybody knows John's a prophet. So they said, we don't know. And Jesus said, well, then I won't tell you what authority I do it. So they they kept challenging this kind of thing with um, this question of authority. If they had been paying attention, uh, Jesus told them actually many times. The words that he speaks comes from the father. The things that he does are the things he sees the Father doing. And he doesn't do anything by himself. He only acts in obedience with the presence of his Father. Everything he said, everything he did. And the things that he did were a witness to the power and authority that the presence of God gave him. He was a spirit-filled man. at the end of his ministry when Jesus is standing beaten and bound in the presence of Pilate the Roman governor and Jesus is on trial for his life this is in John 19 and so um, after he's been beaten and they put this purple robe on him as a mockery crown of thorns on his head they bring him out to Pilate Pilate once again trying to save Jesus' life what's left of it Uh, he brings him out here is the man and as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him they began to cry out crucify him Pilate says he's an innocent man they insist they insisted the Jews did we have a law according to that law he must die because he claimed to be the son of God And Pilate was afraid. Now, he's the Roman government's representative here. Got all these soldiers around him. He's in his own castle. And here's this man beaten and bound. People are trying to get him killed. And he looks at the guy, and they said, this guy says he's the son of God. And Pilate's afraid of him. So he goes back, and he's asking Jesus, where do you come from? Um, and Jesus didn 't say a thing, so Pilate's angry now doesn 't this guy he 's a, a Jewish peasant from up on the border towns he doesn 't realize what 's going on here. Um, Do you refuse to speak to me Pilate said don 't you realize I have power to free you or to crucify you? And so this is to intimidate Jesus, right? Jesus answered. You would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. He's not uh, awed by Pilate at all, is he? Not intimidated at all, and that scares Pilate worse. This man's not afraid of death. He's not afraid of the kind of death that he's looking at. And um, there's peace, there's calm, there's a serenity and a courage and strength that Pilate has never seen before. So there's authority in the answer of Jesus, beaten and bound, about to, to die, but the authority is unmistakable. And Pilate recognized it. He tries to, to free him, but he's a man who is bowed by public opinion. He pays attention to the opinion polls. He's concerned about his own career. It's very similar to exactly the things that are shaping this country today. It's not right and wrong. It's what the majority thinks and feels. And that's a characteristic of our modern society and culture, not only here but in Europe as well, in the West. It's a, um, a culture that is willing to shift uh, the boundaries because as far as they're concerned, the boundaries whatever I decide it is. And... That's the way we're living our lives. As if God did not exist. And so Pilate caved in on this. And he signed the death warrant that killed an innocent man that he knew was innocent. As he repeatedly said himself. So the whole point of all of this is that when Jesus rose from the dead... Came to the disciples and he said to them, All power, all authority, Matthew 28, in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, you go. Now, it's an interesting thing because in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus is tempted by the devil in the wilderness, in Luke chapter 4, verse 6, notice what the devil tells him the devil led him up to a high place showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and he said to him I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to so if you worship me it will all be yours now remember what God was saying through Daniel all authority belongs to God and he gives it to whomever he chooses now what did Satan say here I have all authority and power no he said I will give you all their authority and splendor because it has been given to me it wasn't his by right it was given to him So when we look at the rulers of this world when they had the same temptation that Jesus gave, had fall down and worship me and I will give you power and authority. This is where the power and authority of this world comes from because they've sold their soul to the devil and he has given them his power for a while. But Daniel 4 tells us God is the one who can who is in control of that and he can give it and he can take it away Adam and Eve had that authority and power and when they believed and accepted the lies of Satan they bowed down to him and that authority passed to him so that's what happens in our life isn't it it's where the power and the authority of addictions and uh, bad habits come because we have bowed down to those things, given into those things and given authority over ourselves to the spiritual powers and they control us that's why we can't break those bad habits that's why we struggle with the addictions so the good news is that the scriptures have a lot to say about all of this in Ephesians uh, chapter 1 by the way when uh, remember when Jesus sent out the, uh, the 12 disciples and later on he sent out the 70. It says, Matthew 10, 1, Jesus gave the disciples authority because he had it to give. It was his. He gave them authority and then he sent them out. And that's what he did in Matthew 28 as well. All authority in heaven and earth is mine. Therefore, you can go because you are people under authority. And we exercise the authority that has been given to us by the presence of Christ. He is the authority. If He is in our heart, the authority is there because He is there. It's not ours. uh, It's His. And that's why He said, authority is mine. You go and I am with you. That's why you have the authority. It's the authority of His presence in us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21 talking about Jesus who's been raised from the dead seated at God's right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in this present age but also in the one to come so God has set Jesus in authority over all rule, authority, power, dominion every title in heaven and earth now and in the future placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And then in chapter 3, verse 10 of Ephesians, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what we're saying is that we are engaged in a spiritual war. And it's, it's a spiritual war on an individual level for our souls. It's on a, a war on a family level with our children and our wives and husbands, our children, grandchildren. Um, it's on us as a church, as a community. And the nations are at war. There is a spiritual battle taking place in the heavens. Uh, Daniel talks a lot lot about it. He talks about uh, the prince of Greece and the prince of Persia and and the prince of the Jews and these religious authorities and powers that are are behind the authority that we see exercised by the earthly rulers. Paul talks about it, as you know, in Ephesians chapter 6, and he tells us to put on be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And if we try to fight it there, we will lose. Because that's not where the battle is. We are, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so he tells us to take on this armor. And he tells us what it is. And that's how we stand. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul is writing to this um, to the church here at Corinth. <clears throat> he says... By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. And he goes on and he says, Some people think that we live by the standards of this world, and we don't. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So we don't fight with the weapons of the world. This is why Jesus told the disciples in the garden to put away their swords. Uh, That's not the kind of fight that we fight. Uh, We fight on our knees in the presence of the Lord. Uh, We fight the good fight that Daniel fought. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, Peter and Paul and the other disciples. That's the fight that we are in, and that's the weapons that we use. And so, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us the outcome. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. He's talking about, uh, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all are made alive. And then he says, the end will come when he, that's Jesus, hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So we know the victor, and we know the one who gives the authority, the one who is in control, and the one who will take it all back at the end, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So why is the battle so intense down here, and why is it that many of us, uh, many people are engaged in that battle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 11:14, 14 that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light and the deception is great and strong. And one of the other problems is that uh, these spiritual authorities in high places, they know enough of the future to know that's com- what's coming. And it's, a, it's an incredible statement that God makes. And uh, before we get to uh, 1 Corinthians uh, six. In Revelation chapter two, this is one of the letters to the seven churches. This is to the church at Thyatira, and listen to what he says: To him who overcomes, and does my will to the end. I will give authority over the nations. He's writing to Christian people, to the church. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I received authority from my Father. That's Jesus who's speaking. Now, Paul takes it a step further in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. When he's talking about divisions and lawsuits in the church, and he's saying that's a sinful thing, Uh, we haven't understood that yet, have we? Christians aren't supposed to sue each other. We're not supposed to go to court in in the eyes of a secular state and accuse another brother or sister in the Lord. Paul says in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians verse 2, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Then it goes even further. Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church because God sets an authority the lowliest of men. So these spiritual authorities and powers awesome beyond our wildest imaginations. Nothing in Hollywood or fantasy even scratches the surface of the awesomeness of the powers and authorities that are ruling this world. Paul says, when Christ has redeemed us, and set this world right, you will sit in judgment on those. Now, all that means is we don't have to fear. We don't have to be intimidated. We don't have to to wring our hands regardless of who wins what election, regardless of who takes power in what country, regardless of what nation is at war with us. Uh, We don't have to fear those things because there is a power within us that comes from the presence of God Almighty that will rise up within us doesn't mean there won't be suffering doesn't mean people won't have to die what it means is that there's a power and authority that intimidates the people in authority and power and if Christ is in you Jesus told the disciples look when you stand before magistrates and people and you're on trial you don't have to worry about what to say because I'm with you and the Holy Spirit will give you the words that you are to say and he will make you strong So in Acts chapter 4, this is an incredible passage. This is shortly after the day of Pentecost. It's right after the, the crippled man was healed by Peter, or God healed him through Peter. And everybody knew this guy. And he goes walking and leaping and praising the Lord through the middle of the temple. And there's a big crowd because this miracle is great. Scribes and Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, are distraught because they just, you know, it's just a couple months ago that they had crucified Jesus and now here these guys are. We thought we had finished all of that and it, it just, it just, it's just beginning. And so they called them in. They threatened them. They challenged them. They couldn't really beat them or anything like they wanted to do. They would do that later. That's coming. But at this point, they couldn't because this was a very public thing and everybody knew this guy And they saw the miracle. And here is the man. So they threatened them and turned them loose. And the prayer that they prayed, I think, um, is a good model for us in the days ahead. So Peter and John go back to the church, reported all the chief priests and elders had said, the threats that they had given and the challenges. When they heard this, They raised their voices together in prayer to God. This is in Acts 4, starting with verse 24. Notice, first of all, what they did not pray, and secondly, what they did pray. They didn't pray for protection. They didn't pray for judgment on these wicked men in power. They didn't pray that God would destroy them or strike them dead. Notice their prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth, and the sea, and everything in it. You spoke through your Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. He's quoting from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to Conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. Notice this power group that's here. Herod, Pontius Pilate, this is the Roman rulers, the Jewish rulers, the Gentiles and the people of Israel, including the priests, so you've got the religious and secular groups coming together to do away with Jesus. It's an unholy alliance, isn't it? These are strange Jews and Gentiles who hate each other and even at that day hate each other but they're coming together in order to kill Jesus. The religious leaders of the day, the ones who are supposed, these are the people of God's leaders, the ones who are supposed to know God best and speak in positions of authority in his name, they conspire to kill God's son. They did What your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So the disciples are acknowledging all authority comes from God. And the powers that be are there because God has put them there. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They're not backing down. They're not praying for deliverance or salvation. They're saying, God make us strong so that the testimony, the witness might go forth. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. In other words, they're saying exactly what Jesus said just before the crucifixion. Father, glorify your name. That's our prayer. That's our prayer today. That's our prayer in the days ahead, regardless of what happens in this country or anywhere else. That's our prayer. Father, glorify your name. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God answered that prayer. Heaven and earth responds when God's people Pray this way. Amen. And that's our, that's our call. That's where, we need to, that's where we need to be today. Be praying for this election. Yes. We pray for godly leaders. We pray that God will redeem our country. Regardless of what happens, our prayer is, Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name in and through us by life or death, by pain or suffering, by victory. Glorify your name. And when God's people come before God with those kinds of prayer, the world is turned upside down. And so it begins here within our hearts. Um, Not fearing, no intimidation. Uh, So David put it this way. Lord, I look to you. You are my refuge and my strength. What can mortal man do to me? It's a good question. Worst they can do is kill you. And that's a victory for us. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would rise up within us, that your spirit would rise up within us and make us strong. We pray, Lord, that you would draw us close to you, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who is our source, our strength, the one who is life himself. And we pray that your life in us might shine brighter and be the light of the world that's walking in darkness. People are confused, they're fearful. Um, People are losing all the standards, all the things that define and shape society itself, are crumbling, being attacked, our homes, our families. Father, we pray that you would draw us close to you and through the, the unity that comes through your spirit and the blood of Christ being applied to us, we pray that you would help us to be what you called us to be, more than conquerors. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.